Good morning. You're listening to K Tahoe, the new 96.1 and AM 590. It is time for the bright side with Alexis Robin. Good morning and welcome to week eight, guidepost number eight, cultivating calm and stillness, letting go of anxiety as a lifestyle. We are, I can't believe we're already at week eight uh, in the gifts of imperfection. We are working out of Brene Brown's book, uh, The Gifts of Imperfection, Letting Go of Who You Think You're Supposed to Be and Embracing Who You Are, A Guide to Wholehearted Life. And this week we're talking about cultivating calm and stillness. And this can be anxiety provoking for many. The, uh, being this, calm. Yeah, being calm or being still. The, um, she talks about in this chapter the anxiety as a lifestyle and how we've all gotten so used to being kind of at running at such a high level and such an intensity all the time that mm-hmm. it's become kind of part of who we are. Yeah. Um, and then slowing down feels really uncomfortable. And I've actually experienced this quite a few times as someone who works, uh, for myself and, and with a team, we, um, we often go through times of great busyness and then times of slowness. And so it's kind of like you ramp up and you get into that zone and you're like, go, 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 go. And every minute is productive and working and you're firing on all cylinders and then it ends and you're like, can't wait for it to end. So you can slow down and like find some peace and quiet in your life again. And then you have this like weird anxiety in the downshift from, we call it the downshift or, um, from this super high intensity to this like stillness again, it feels very uncomfortable. Yeah. And so, um, and so that's what happens. And for those of us who have been living that anxious life for a very long time, the whole idea of calm and stillness will probably make you want to turn off the radio. So I would just say, hang with us for the next 10 minutes and just notice kind of uh, some of the things that you can do. So Brene talks about the definition of calm. She always defines, um, she kind of creates new definitions for things based on the research and the people she's interviewed. Mm -hmm. So she defines calm in this chapter as creating perspective and mindfulness while managing emotional reactivity. And when we are working with leaders at the Peeling Coaching Center for Excellence, a lot of what we're doing is helping them to manage their own reactivity. And in short, that means that we get a front seat to our own emotional reactivity. <laughs> we're constantly trying to practice managing our own. So this is a chapter I know a lot about. But she talks about how people who um, are calm can bring perspective to complicated situations. They can feel their feelings without reacting to heightened emotions like fear and anger. So being able to fully embrace, like I can see what's going on here and I can see that it's making me angry, but understanding and feeling that without reacting to it. Uh, Easier said than done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Definitely easier said than done. So uh, she talks about the psychologist, she references Harriet Lerner, who quote, who she quotes saying, anxiety is extremely contagious, but so is calm. So when you think about how you want to present yourself in the world or what you want to bring, do you want to add more flames to the fire by adding anxiety to an anxious situation? Or do you want to add calm? And do you want to infect people with your calm um, energy? And so when you think about choosing calm over anxiety, you have to commit to practicing some things. And some of the suggestions she has for practicing, uh, one is to respond by counting to 10 first and then responding to somebody. So something happens, you know, the good old count to 10 before you respond. 
a, a second thing you can do is to give yourself permission to say, I'm just not sure. I need to think about it some more. So rather than feeling, sometimes we feel like we have to give an answer right away. Yeah. And so then we fire off something and then it's like, I don't even know if I just agree with myself, if I agreed with myself, like what in the world? And so, um, so give yourself some time. Number three, another thing you can do is to identify the emotions that are most likely to spark your reactivity. Now, a great way to do that is to take a, um, there's a great 360 that we use called the leadership circle profile, and it identifies what your reactive tendencies are. Mm -hmm. And so you can, with the help of a coach, you can kind of get underneath that and see like what drives that reactive tendency. But, um, but then you take it a step further, which is to practice your non-reactive responses. So last week I was chatting with Jen about a situation I had had with one of my kids who, um, had avoided something because they were, you know, uncomfortable and didn't want to take care of something. And, um, and rather than noticing my reactive tendency and thinking of a better way to handle it. I just went reactive and got really mad and angry and, you know, controlling. And unfortunately that just ended in neither one of us getting what we wanted and kind of doing a little damage to the relationship, uh, in the short term. But you know, upon reflection after kind of chit-chatting with Jen, fellow mother, (laughs) about it, I thought of another way that I could handle it. And I thought, gosh, I wish I would have done this instead. And just the act of practicing in retrospect and thinking like, what could I have done differently in that situation once you've calmed down and once you've gotten far enough away from it really helps to set you up for success the next time. Because as your emotions are starting to rise, you can reflect back on like, oh, I remember how this ended last time wasn't good for either one of us. And what did I say I would do? Oh yeah. I said, I would have said, you know, been more empathetic and, and tried to get to the, you know, a better solution. So being able to reflect back and identify um, practices for non-reactive responses is great. Um, And then the fourth thing that she suggests is just to take a deep breath before responding. And there's actually the science behind taking the deep breath is that when we are able to breathe deeply, it activates our parasympathetic nervous system. And that tells our body that we have enough time to breathe so that we're probably not in a fight or flight risk. So we don't need to get into that place of like getting ready to run or fight or freeze. So, um, so just taking a breath is, is a good way. Now, the other half of this chapter is about stillness and the concept of stillness uh, similar to calm, but slightly different and a little harder for people to practice. Um, I have definitely worked with people who resist stillness in a big way. And the way she's defining stillness in this chapter is this quieting of the body and mind as a way to feel less anxious and overwhelmed. So just kind of stilling both your body and your mind. Now, the obvious ways to do that are through things like meditation, taking a walk, deep breathing, uh, reflective journaling. But there is, um, she says, it's not about focusing on nothingness. It's about creating a clearing. It's about opening an emotionally clutter-free space and allowing ourselves to feel, think, dream, and question. So it's, you know, this idea of being still is opening an emotional free space, this kind of decluttering, um, and allowing ourselves to, to just feel what's happening, what's going on. Now, what happens is that if 
we are used to numbing ourselves through the art of busyness. You know, those people that go, 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 because if I, you know, go fast enough, I can stay out in front of reality about what's happening in my life. I don't have to feel what's going on. Um, then stillness can be very anxiety provoking Mm -hmm. because the minute you get still suddenly, um, our lives catch up with us, (laughs) the truth about our lives catch up with us. And so, um, it's definitely can be hard. So in our increasingly complicated world, we really do need to create more time for stillness and calm. I mean, we, our bodies need it. Our minds need it. Uh, our families need it. And our, and the people we interact with every day surely benefit from us creating more calm and stillness. So there's a couple of things that you can try. One thing that she talks about is to actually um, decrease her anxiety. She cut back on caffeine and added more sleep and exercise. So that's one thing that you can do. So if you're, you know, popping sleeping pills at night and then (laughs) drinking eight gallons of coffee during the day, you might want to think about cutting back on both and seeing if some stillness might work for you. Um, She also talks about Harriet Lerner, again, in The Dance of Connection, her book. She explains that we have, there's kind of two patterned responses to anxiety. One of us manage anxiety by over-functioning and some of us uh, respond to anxiety by under-functioning. And so the over-functioners, and I think this is me, tend to advise, rescue, take over, micromanage, and get into other people's business rather than look inward, mm-hmm. right? So they just start moving and functioning um, versus slowing down and saying, whoa, what's really going on here? Yeah. And then the under-functioners tend to actually get less competent under stress and invite others to take over and kind of rescue them. And so what happens is that then they become kind of labeled as the fragile one or the problem child. So um, what Dr. Lerner suggests is that if you can notice these patterns in yourself, are you an underfunctioner or an overfunctioner? And then if you are an overfunctioner, um, recognizing it as a response pattern versus the truth about who you are, uh, you can become more willing, you know, try to become more willing to embrace your vulnerabilities in the face of anxiety. And then for you under functioners, try to work on amplifying your strengths and competencies in the face of anxiety. So that's a little bit on guidepost number eight, the, um, cultivating stillness and calm and letting go of anxiety as a lifestyle. And if, uh, if you want more on this, pick up her book, the gifts of imperfection. And if you're interested more, to find out about what we do, check us out at P-Link Coaching Center for Excellence or on our Facebook page, The Positivity Link. Fantastic. Yeah. So thanks for joining us. This is Alexis Robin. Same time, same place next week. Same time, same place. I can't believe we're almost through this. I know. We're almost on number nine, which wow. um, number nine, cultivating meaningful work, letting go of self-doubt and supposed to. So that'll be fun. <laughs> I look forward to it. We will see you next week. Sounds good. You've been listening to Alexis Robin with The Bright Side here on K Tahoe.